G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. We're returning to a very, very controversial, even traumatising topic to talk about. So brace yourself for a few moments as we give our attention back to organ harvesting in China. Because what appears to be happening is that there's more and more Australian connection to the organ harvesting that's been going on. Now, ordinarily, we've been hearing about all sorts of atrocities against the Uyghur people or other groups like Falun Gong and the Tibetans. But what's come to light is that house Christians are also being included in groups that are set up on trumped-up charges and their organs are being taken from them and sold on the market around the world. And Australians have been accessing those organs for sale out of China. Well, back again today with Professor Maria Fiataroni-Singh, who is an advisor to the NGO Doctors Against Forced Organ Harvesting. She's a professor at Sydney Medical School at the University of Sydney. She's published extensively in her field and also researched and presented on the issue of forced organ harvesting in China. She's on the Medical Advisory Board of Doctors Against Forced Organ Harvesting and is a member of the Australian Committee of the International Coalition to End Transplant Abuse in China. China. Uh, Professor, welcome back to 2020. Thank you very much. Maria, how disturbing is it to you to know that there are growing connections between Australians who are accessing these organs from China? Uh, It's extremely disturbing as a doctor, but also just as a human being, um, that people can turn a blind eye to where their organs might be coming from. And I think Uh, It's understandable that when people are desperate and feel that um, their medical health is the most important thing, that they might be willing to um, ignore the fact that other people are being harmed for for their own health. But I think um, it's very disturbing, and it's disturbing that, in fact, the entire transplant industry in China was actually initiated by a a doctor from China who trained at the University of Sydney was trained in liver transplant surgery. He then went back to China and was the person who actually orchestrated the entire organ transplant system, which was completely founded upon using prisoners on death row as the source of the organs. And then ultimately he transferred that to uh, people who were not on death row, but who were incarcerated in labor camps um, because of their religious beliefs um, as the source of these organs. So extremely troubling that the entire industry was built on the back of this man that we educated and also troubling that in fact um, patients from Australia have traveled to China to get these organs without questioning the source of them. Uh, routinely, not in large numbers, but routinely over the past three decades or so. 
And am I right in assuming that there are a growing number of Australians who have had contacts in China who have been now placed on missing persons lists because they are no longer contactable and there are fears that they've been caught up in this industry? Yes, there are a, a growing number of um, reports from people who are actually Australian citizens who may have married uh, people in China uh, among either the Uyghur community or other ethnic communities. And in uh, at some point in time, their loved ones have been incarcerated in China, and this includes their parents, their wives, their children. Uh, there are even reports uh, of, of women who have probably had to have forced abortions carried out um, after being incarcerated. And these, the remaining family members who are in Australia have um, publicized these reports now of, of their family members. So it's not old news. It's not happening 10 years ago. It's happening actually today. Um, so it's very concerning. And many of these people have brought their concerns to the Australian government um, to the embassy, to the UN, uh, but really the government has not done very much overtly to try and either find their loved ones or negotiate their release. So it's very disturbing. So uh, really a reluctance or an inaction from our Australian government. Are there any hopes uh, under a new Labor government uh, that there may be any extra breakthroughs or uh, that at least some diplomatic relations might be thawed and uh, some hope of speaking into this situation? I think there are hopes. I, I, I think the problem is um, if you're trying to thaw relations with China, uh, the way that China would like that to happen is if you stop accusing them of genocide. Um, so it's pretty hard to thaw relations and at the same time point out that they're committing genocide in Xinjiang province, which they are. So that's the that's the sticking point is, is, yes, we would like to negotiate with them. But if that negotiation means that they have to admit wrongdoing and have to admit that they're, in fact, you know, doing these things which are considered completely egregious acts of, of you know, uh, genocide, uh, it's hard to see how that's going to happen. So, I mean, I think there is probably um, more desire to uh, help the people who are asking for solutions to their incarcerated loved ones. But I, I still think it's, you know, China is a very big issue to tackle because of the economic power that they hold. So I think it's going to require a very... Uh, a very massive effort and prolonged effort that includes, um, you know, things like sanctions and things like um, really trying to uh, force the issue by putting it into the mainstream media and into the just right, you know, in the in the public discourse. Right now, it's been a bit out of the mainstream. There are a lot of people who have, who still have never heard of forced organ harvesting at all, despite it's been going on for 30 years or more. So I think we need a lot better education among the general public and a lot more outrage. I think the problem is that people are not necessarily outraged by something that doesn't affect them. And if, you know, if that's, that doesn't change, then nothing will ever change. 
There's a contrast in values. Communists have a different set of values, and talking about the Chinese Communist Party, uh, to our Christian Foundation values that see people as having dignity and value. And for even people who are outside of the Christian church, that's a hangover of our own Christian Foundation heritage, that there are people with dignity and value. So this outrage you're talking about, Maria, this needs to come from people beyond the Christian community only and uh, Australians everywhere to express their outrage that this should not happen. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I think, unfortunately, there, Australia is a bit of an island. And I think that sometimes Australians, you know, don't see the needs of people who don't live on this island as being equal to their own and are able to ignore atrocities that are occurring, whether it's Myanmar or, you know, wherever it is. And I think that, you know, what we need to do is to go back to that, you know, universal Christian um, belief that, you know, that everyone, every human life has value. Uh, Everyone is our brother and sister. And if we really felt that way, then an atrocity in Myanmar or amongst the Uyghurs or amongst house Christians in China would all have, or in Ukraine, those things would all have equal impact on our psyche and in our hearts. And I, I think that's where Australians you know, have sometimes not really stepped up to the plate as much as they should, which is what, which is why, you know, refugees and asylum seekers have spent eight years uh, in detention on islands off the coast of Australia. I mean, that is really a pretty good example of how much we can close our eyes to the plight of other people um, and not see that really asylum seeking is a universal right. Australia was one of the original co-signatories of the Declaration of Human, Human Rights in 1948, and yet, despite, you know, this acknowledgement that seeking asylum is a UN right, we somehow thought that it's okay to put them on detention in, on Nauru or, or elsewhere for, for years at a time. So I think that same reluctance to look across the borders at other people is really what has allowed um, things like organ harvesting in China to go on so long uh, and the incarceration of one to two million Uyghurs to go on and people still, you know, buying their cotton from that part of China without blinking an eye. So we need to be much more universal in our understanding of what joins us together as a human family, I think. So the inclusion of Christians in this growing number of uh, dreadful atrocities, uh, we've been hearing about the Uyghurs, uh, Falun Gong, the Tibetans, but the fact that there is now growing evidence that Christians are included in that number, is there something here for Christian churches and for Christian individuals, someone who wants to take up the fight here in some way uh, to become involved in that? How, how would you do that if you wanted to get a bit serious and have your voice better heard? Well, I, I think the best way to do it is to arm yourself with information. So get all of the facts and the, the ETAC website is a great place to get the facts and then publicize that amongst your own community members. And I think, you know, the to me, the idea is that, um, you know, as a Christian or as a Christian community, um, it should be obvious that if, you know, anyone being... Um, uh, unfairly treated or targeted for genocide matters. And as a Christian, you should speak up against it full stop. doesn't matter what religion or ethnicity the group is from. You should speak up about it because you are a Christian. Um, 
and as my teachers used to tell me when I was in first grade, um, you know, think about your life. And at the end of your life, if you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And I remember my first grade nun telling us that, which is really, I think, the most important point is it's not really about necessarily, um, you know, not doing any harm in life. It's about did you go out of your way to do good? And did you go out of your way to defend people who are being harmed? So there needs to be evidence that you were a Christian at the end of your life. Um, And I think, you know, going out of your way to defend people who may or may not share your faith is a very good example of being a Christian in the true sense of the word, I think. Let me point people to that website you mentioned, the endtransplantabuse.org website. That's the website for the Coalition to End Transplant Abuse in China, endtransplantabuse.org. There's also a pledge on there that you can sign not to receive an organ from China. And uh, perhaps you'd like to be in contact with Professor Maria Fiantaroni Singh, and uh, you can do so via that website to endtransplantabuse.org. Uh, Maria, thank you so much for taking some time to share an update with us today on 2020. That's okay. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.